This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Get $50 off select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash fool and using promo code fool at checkout. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Monday, March 19th, and we're talking about... Well, the reform, or the potential reform, of Dodd-Frank reforms. I'm your host, Michael Douglas, and I'm joined by Matt Frankel. And to be more precise, the United States Senate late last week passed a bill to partially roll back and in a variety of ways change the Dodd-Frank reforms that were put into law uh, in the wake of the financial crisis. Now, the, the first thing we have to say here is, the Senate has passed a bill. That does not mean the House will pass the same bill, and that certainly doesn't mean the President will sign the bill. Right. This is what's referred to as a draft legislation. Um, think of it like the first draft of a, a paper you're writing for, mm-hmm. for school. Um, it's not going to look quite like this when the final bill is voted on. The President has already said he would sign the legislation as written, but the issue is Republicans in the House of Representatives don't quite think it rolls back the reforms enough and are going to add some things to it. And this will need some bipartisan support to pass. So there's a risk that once it gets back to the Senate, this could be a real roadblock to this. The reforms of the reforms becoming law. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So as per usual with anything on Capitol Hill, there are a lot of moving parts here and we will be diving into some of those pieces. So. The, the first thing we have to talk about here is that this is, in a lot of ways, a theoretical conversation. But we figured, hey, this is interesting news. This is something we should be talking about because it will make a big difference to a lot of the financial sector if passed in some way, shape, or form. And we could do a little bit of speculation about winners and losers a little bit further down. But first, let's talk about the biggest part of this legislation, or certainly the headline number, which is the asset requirement to be considered a systemically important financial institution, or as we call it around here, a SIFI, would rise from $50 billion in assets to $250 billion in assets. But first, let's talk a little bit about what a SIFI is. Right. So a SIFI basically is an institution, you've heard the term too big to fail. This would be an institution that, if it fails, could really threaten the stability of our financial system in this country. In the wake of the financial crisis, there were these reforms put into place to kind of control what was defined as a SIFI, first of all, because that's you know a new thing, and to kind of watch them a little closer than you would, say, a smaller bank. So the kind of effect of this is that SIFIs have higher regulatory expenses than other banks and are required to keep you know, higher capital levels and don't really control their own dividend and buyback policies and things of that nature. Right. So, essentially, if you're a SIFI, it's going to be a little bit harder for you to compete with everyone else. Now, on the flip side of that is this idea that SIFIs also have a scale advantage, right? I mean, they are very, they are the largest institutions. And this proposed shift from $50 billion in assets to $250 billion in assets means that the number of banks in that group would drop from around 40 to around a dozen. So, it would really take us to the very biggest ones and your household names. Folks like J.P. Morgan, 
Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, instead of kind of hopping down further and further into a lot of banks, some of which a lot of listeners to this show will probably have never heard of. But let's also consider this on the flip side, thinking about this sort of through the lens of the financial crisis. So Lehman Brothers uh, had around had six hundred billion dollars in assets when things started going south. So they would certainly have been in this new framework, proposed new framework. They would still be considered a SIFI. But subprime mortgage lender Countrywide had $211.7 billion in assets at the end of 2007. Remember that Bank of America bought it in January of 2008. So, it would not be considered a SIFI under this new framework. And yet, when Countrywide failed, a lot of really big bad things happened pretty quickly. Right. I wouldn't put the Countrywide failure in the same league as the Lehman Brothers failure in terms of the threat to the financial system. That is very true. But, but that's kind of the point of this. Um, the, and it's kind of a fluid concept. Um, there's no real perfect answer to where the actual cutoff is, which is kind of what they're trying to figure out. When, when things like the financial crisis happen, you tend to see kind of, you know, like knee jerk reactions to make sure things don't happen again. And rightly so. And what happens is things tend to go a little too far into the other direction. And what they're trying to do now is kind of find the correct point. Yeah. And it's interesting because the, the way they've set it up is essentially banks up to $100 billion in assets would immediately not be subject to SIFI requirements from the 100 to $250 billion in assets group. They would be subject to some of the requirements for a little while longer. And then uh, further down the line, the Fed would still do some stress tests on that group. And they'd have the ability to sort of demand more regulatory responsiveness from those banks when they needed to, when they sort of felt that that was appropriate. But it just wouldn't be at the same sort of level of consistency that you would have for the $250 billion plus group. Right. And um, like you said, this is kind of a very fluid idea, and there's no telling what it's going to look like in the final draft. But... It's 50 is too low. Everyone pretty much agrees on that. Uh, Barney Frank himself, who the Dodd-Frank legislation is partially named for, right. recently came out and said the real number is probably about 125. He said 50 was a little bit low, but 250 might be a little bit too high. It excludes some banks that we really should probably keep a close eye on. You mentioned the countrywide situation. So under what Barney Frank would want to do, countrywide would still be considered a SIFI under under his you know, ideal situation. So we'll see where it actually ends up, and there's like there's going to be some wiggle room before the final legislation is goes for a vote. Right, and the thing that we just talked about is this this piece that sort of the Fed would have the ability to sort of do some things when they felt w- was appropriate. Um, to quote a Fed Chair Jerome Powell gave some testimony on this. He said the Fed would have, and I quote, the tools that we need, end quote, to sort of. You know, apply where necessary. Now, I'll say on the flip side of that is the fact that you know when the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission, um, which was uh, a panel specifically designed to take a look at the financial crisis and comment on what things should have been done differently, you know, they had some pretty nasty things to say about regulators at the time. Um, the Fed, and I quote had a pivotal failure to stem the flow of toxic mortgages, uh, end quote. Um, and that the SEC 
uh, and I'm quoting here, failed to restrict banks' risky activities, did not require them to hold adequate capital and liquidity for their activities, end quote. Um, this, thanks to the Washington Post's excellent reporting on that commission's uh, findings. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff here that, you know, is up to discretion of regulators, and regulators haven't always shown themselves to really be appropriately aggressive. Uh, I'll also throw out there, of course, though, that hindsight is twenty twenty, And my hope would be that people have learned from this, and so regulators would be more active when that's appropriate. Right, but there's, there's still a big difference between re- what regulators could do and what regulators have to do. Right. And that's kind of the, the, the piece that we're seeing here with this proposed sort of 100 to $250 billion, I'm going to call it sort of transition zone <laughs> between uh, banks that they think are distinctly not SIFIs and those that are distinctly SIFIs. Again, those $250 billion plus group. What other thoughts do you have on that, Matt? Like I said, it'll just come to where this ends up in the end and what the Fed is required to do and what they have to do. Um, kind of moving on from that. There are a few other smaller changes that this bill makes or would make that are kind of worth mentioning. Uh, one, it would end the Volcker rule for smaller banks, which again was designed to prevent kind of speculation. Um, proprietary trading is a big thing in the Volcker rule, um, and banks are currently banned from doing that for the most part. Um, so this would roll that back for smaller institutions. It would also reduce capital requirements on banks that are known as custody banks. These are banks like um, Bank of New York Mellon, um, State Street Financial is a big one, that have kind of holding custody assets for pension funds and mutual funds, things of that nature. Uh, they would have lower cust- um, capital requirements. It would kind of it would ease mortgage regulations for smaller banks, and for the consumers, a big win. Um, credit bureaus, uh, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion would be required to freeze people's credit for free. Uh, currently, that costs about ten dollars per bureau, depending on where you live. So, this is a big win for consumers, and especially in the wake of that big Equifax breach that we saw last year. Yeah, and it's interesting because when you when you look at the bill, one of the comments that a lot of uh, people who oppose the bill will say is that, well, they say it's about community banks and small banks, but really, a lot of the big benefits are to Fairly large banks. Again, you're sort of hundred to two hundred. Well, I guess more like your fifty to two hundred and fifty billion dollar asset groups, and 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 that's fair enough. That is a really really big benefit to those groups. But there is also a lot of stuff here that's designed to help small banks. And to be clear, it's probably needed. Community banks uh, are on the decline. They're about a third fewer today than there were about a decade ago. According to the Economist, and so that's a that's a big thing, and hopefully this will help uh, provide them with some more stability and a better uh, a better place to compete. So we'll turn to investing takeaways properly in a minute, but but first a brief word from our sponsor. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Casper's breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature through the night. They're not just a mattress company. Casper offers a wide array of products to ensure an overall better sleep experience. Their mattresses are made in the United States. Buying the Casper is easy. You order online, it's delivered to your door in a compact box, and there are free shipping and free returns to the U.S. and Canada 
Plus, they offer a risk-free 100-day trial. Consider this. We spend about a third of our lives on a mattress. So, it's really important to truly sleep on a mattress before committing. That's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out. I haven't personally slept on a Casper mattress, but a good friend and colleague of mine here has, and she raves about it, says that it's the best sleep she's ever gotten. And I uh, I think it's fair to say that when my current mattress wears out, I will probably be giving Casper a try and taking advantage of that 100-day free trial. Because really, what do I have to lose? Get $50 toward select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash fool and using promo code fool at checkout. Terms and conditions, of course, apply. But again, that's $50 toward select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash fool and using promo code fool at checkout. All right, so winners and losers. Let's talk first about community banks, because those are a pretty clear winner here. As I mentioned before the break, they've been on the decline. They have. There's been a lot of mergers and acquisitions activity because they've had such uh, so much in terms of sort of regulatory stuff that they've had to respond to. That they've had to um, comply with that. It just hasn't made sense for them for these really tiny banks with you know five and seven and nine branches to stay on their own. It makes better sense for them to combine their operations, which can have drawbacks for consumers as you know they. Kind of grow bigger and become more corporate. This will definitely help with their competitive um, uh, positioning in the market, assuming the bill in its current form is passed. Yeah, this kind of what it does is it sort of levels the playing field between the community banks and the big banks. You mentioned they have the big advantage of scale. Well, now the community banks would have the advantage of lower regulatory expenses, and it would kind of you know help them compete a little bit better with you know companies that right now they're not competing very effectively with. You mentioned that you know a third fewer today than there were a decade ago. Um, it's also kind of at this point worth mentioning that there is nothing in this bill that specifically would roll back regulations on the biggest banks. Right. Um, so if anything, I, I would call them one of the losers. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. So when you sort of think about the totally opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Your tiniest banks, beneficiaries, your very largest banks, at least not beneficiaries. And since everyone else is getting a boost on some level, probably consider them losers. I think that's fair. Um, let's talk about banks from $50 billion to $100 billion in assets. Now, now this is an interesting group because they were um, subject to SIFI requirements, or they are, I suppose, right now. But if this bill in its current form passes, then they won't be anymore immediately. And that is going to make their lives a lot easier. Because right now, you have um, and this is a, a well-documented thing across financials. Once a bank starts getting into kind of the upper forty billion dollars area for its balance sheet, it starts really thinking hard about whether it wants to cross that fifty billion dollar mark. And you've seen plenty of banks sort of raise their dividends and do things basically to prevent themselves from growing across that limit. Well, suddenly, if that limit's doubled, then that calculus changes, and so you may see a lot of these banks that are kind of in that for lack of a better term, danger zone, start really aggressively investing for growth again. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite banks is a great example of this, New York Community Bank. Um, they're, you know, in, in New York, they lend on primarily rent-controlled apartment buildings, and they've grown aggressively over the years in terms of acquiring other banks. And that had to come to a halt as soon as they started to approach the $50 billion mark. So they've been paying something like a 5 or 6% dividend yield for a few years now and have been preparing for these excessive regulatory expenses. Mm -hmm. And now that if this passes, that just won't be an issue for them anymore. 
they can kind of pursue growth as usual, which is, I would actually call this group the biggest winner of this legislation if it passed. Yes, because it just simply removes a big overhang for them. And it's funny, if you ever check out New York Community Bancorp's uh, 10K and you just sort of look at the last few years, you'll sort of notice like, Wow, yeah, they've really kept their assets like right at or below fifty billion dollars, just as much as possible. And um, just a high level look kind of shows you that they've very clearly chosen not to grow. And when you compare that to you know where they were ten and fifteen years ago, the other thing is that that could encourage some merger and acquisitions um, in that group, that fifty to one hundred billion dollar in assets group, because suddenly if you're a you know, $48 billion bank, and you've been kind of eyeing this $20 billion bank, but you didn't want to go over the city limit, well, suddenly, you won't. And so, that could be uh, an interesting opportunity for banks that are, um, say, I would say probably less than half that amount. So, kind of your sub $25 billion banks that some of these bigger banks may finally be able to kind of use their elephant guns to go ahead and, and juice some significant acquisitions for themselves. Yeah, definitely. And Another group um, is the one that this doesn't automatically happen to overnight. The banks with 100 billion to 250 billion in assets. I want to say like a BB&T would fall into this category. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, these I would call winners just because I, I definitely want to put them in the losers category here. But I would. I, we don't know how much of winners they're going to be just yet. We don't know what the Fed is going to be required to do with these banks. How how quickly the regulations would actually roll off of them. And what would trigger kind of the Fed's discretionary oversight? So while these are winners, I wouldn't, you know, rush in and and buy these bank stocks hand over fist just yet. Yeah, the way I think of it is that they are uncertain winners, right? The the fact is like their 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 competitive positioning will probably get a little bit better but how much better is just very unclear and so i think what we'll probably see is a, a very muted reaction as sort of a lot of these banks say well yes this is probably a net benefit but we'll just kind of have to wait and see sort of as the rubber meets the road and really understand what that benefit looks like now aside from the largest banks i think the only other folks who you could argue um, from a from a business standpoint, our uh, clear losers are Equifax and the other credit bureaus, but because they have to offer, of course, those free credit free services. But to be honest, it's not really that big of a downside for them. Um, so, credit free services, amongst other things, are offered in Equifax's global consumer solutions business, which was uh, about twelve percent of Equifax's top line last year. But it's not clear how much of that business was related to these discretionary credit freezes, and frankly, it's probably just not material to them. And so, you know, if you if you're trying to find a loser, <laughs> you know that, uh, or a formal loser, I suppose, in the bill, you could argue that Equifax and the other credit bureaus sort of fit that bill. But it's really probably just not going to be a, a material difference to them. Yeah, and this could actually turn out to be a blessing in disguise to the credit bureaus because. You know, right now people are of the mindset, okay, Equifax let you know hackers steal all my data, and it's going to cost me thirty dollars to freeze my credit. So now it kind of gives consumers a little bit more power and kind of takes the heat off of the credit bureaus in some respect. Uh, consumers are actually one I would add to the winners list here. Um, a credit freeze is by far your best line of defense against your identity being stolen. 
There's uh, credit fraud alerts and credit freezes, and freezes are by far the most effective. And now they'll be free if this goes through. Yes, and to be to be entirely fair to the credit bureaus, you know, Equifax offered or is still offering actually free credit freezes to folks through I think it's mid this year. And so, you know, anyone who was affected is getting some short-term protection, but this would sort of in uh, lengthen that and enforce sort of longer, more permanent protection, which frankly, in the world that we live in, where financial data is increasingly being stolen and hacks are unfortunately just a fact of life, I think this is an, a needed update. And I'm glad that we're not just depending on a business's um, largesse and sense of fairness, but rather putting this codifying this to make sure that it is just an expectation by consumers from here and not something that that anyone needs to have to go advocate for after this. Yeah, just for like a last minute public service message here, uh, credit freezes are by far the most effective if you only if you do all three credit bureaus. So Equifax, yes, was you know they offered free credit freezes, but now you'll be able to do Experian and TransUnion for free as well. So uh, be kind of a more well-rounded credit freeze. Right. Assuming, of course, that this bill passes. <laughs> yeah, no, no, this whole conversation is contingent on this bill passing. <laughs> right. But hey, at the end of the day, the stock market, in my mind, is the art of the possible, right? It is the art of what might happen in the future. And that is what makes things interesting. And investors who are aware of the potential outcomes and the potential externalities of decisions that are made and regulatory changes that occur are, in my opinion, the folks who are best equipped to make sure that they make smart investing decisions, either based on those or despite them. Folks, that's it for this week's financial show. Questions, comments? You can always reach us at industryfocus.fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Dan Boyd. For Matt Frankel, I'm Michael Douglas. Thanks for listening, and Fool on.